0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Tuesday edition. Russia has now undeniably moved against Ukraine by declaring these independent states. So today I'm announcing the first tranche of sanctions to impose costs on Russia in response to their actions yesterday. I was President Biden earlier today responding to the Russian invasion of the separatist areas of Ukraine. We'll get the latest on this unfolding crisis from CBN's senior international correspondent, George Thomas, who is in Ukraine. While uh, the Biden administration is saying they will respond to Russian actions with sanctions, what do these sanctions need to look like to be effective? What other steps can the U.S. take? We'll talk with Florida Congressman Mike Waltz, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, And last night, the Canadian Parliament approved a 30-day extension of the Emergency Act. I ask all members of Parliament to take action against illegal blockades and to stand up for public safety and for the freedom of Canadians. Invoking the
2: Emergencies Act has been necessary.
1: Uh, The Canadian Prime Minister, that was uh, Justin Trudeau yesterday evening, speaking before the Parliament voted to extend by 30 days the Emergency Act. If the hope was to crush the peaceful demonstrations against government overreach and the desire for freedom, well, it only gives rise to more. We'll talk with Mike Landis, co-organizer of the People's Convoy, a convoy that is heading for Washington, D.C., starting tomorrow. Also, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals heard arguments today in a school transgender bathroom case out of Florida. Why is this case being watched so closely? FRC's Catherine Beck Johnson is here to explain later on Washington Watch. And the 2022 Olympics are over, but as we discussed yesterday, the Olympics put a spotlight not just on winter sports, but on the human rights abuses of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, we know the CCP are bad actors, but have political and business leaders in the West empowered the Chinese Communist Party? And if so, who are they? And why are politicians like Justin Trudeau enamored with communist China Has it influenced his policies? We'll talk about it with Peter Schweitzer, author of Red-Handed, later here on Washington Watch. You won't want to miss that interview. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all right there later. In fact, you can point your friends to TonyPerkins.com and they can listen to. Our verse for today coming from FRC's Stand on the Word Reading Plan is Exodus thirty-four twenty-four. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall cover your land when you go to appear before the Lord your God three times a year. Look at this promise. Put me first, God says, and I'll be your provider and your protector. Now, Jesus gives us the same direction in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. If you'd like to join us in this two-year chronological Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. And also, you can join me each morning, Monday through Friday at 844 a.m. Eastern Time for a short devotional from the Daily Reading. Go to TonyPerkins.com or join me on Facebook. The defense ministry of Ukraine said today that territories under Ukrainian control have been shelled about 80 times from the pro-Russian self-declared republics uh, and 58 involved weapons prohibited under the Minsk agreements. The Ukrainian defense ministry also said that one soldier has been killed and six others have been injured. Is diplomacy still on the table, as President Biden suggested today? With me now to talk about the latest news on the escalating situation is George Thomas. He is CBN's senior international correspondent, who is reporting live from Ukraine. George, welcome back to the program.
3: Hey, thanks for having me on, Tony.
1: Appreciate it. A pleasure to be on. So, George, uh, what's the latest news?
3: Uh, I mean, in essence, what we saw the president uh, come out this uh, this afternoon at the White House and said that uh, they're going to impose a set of new sanctions uh, on on uh, on Moscow specifically, uh, going after. Uh, various uh, members of his inner circle, specifically uh, the director of the FSB, the equivalent of the FBI Security Service uh, that controls uh, the entire country and other members of uh, of, of his inner circle. Uh, the key right here oh, also, by the way, the EU uh, said that they were going to uh, slap sanctions as well as a travel ban and uh, freeze the assets of uh, 321 members of uh, of uh, Russia's doomed. Uh, the equivalent of their, of their Congress. Uh, so the pressure is on them. The, the, I, I mean, I think it's too early to just to g- gain a sense of the impact of it. We're going to have to wait for a couple of days, weeks, and months ahead. Uh, but, uh, all... Russia watchers will say those who have been tracking uh, uh, Tony for many many years the the sort of the impact and the consequence of these sanctions that we have levied uh, on the Kremlin over the decades uh, all come back to say listen if you really want to put a hurting uh, on Moscow you have got to go after these so called oligarchs those are the wealthiest of the wealthiest uh, in the Russian society and they all encircle Vladimir Putin. Uh, And so if you want to really uh, bring the hammer down uh, on Russia, you have to go after uh, these individuals. Incidentally, yesterday, when the tanks rolled in and the uh, troops marched uh, into the Donetsk and the Luhansk uh, region of eastern Ukraine, uh, some of those oligarchs were were vacationing uh, in the Swiss Alps. And so this is the reality. If you really want to go after them, and, and put some really put some hurt on them you've got to go after these uh, very very few select group of uh, uh, influential uh, businessmen uh, in order to put uh, put some pressure uh, on on Krem- on the Kremlin
1: George, what's the sense of the Ukrainians right now with uh, I mean, now you've had the the shellings that have taken place, this declaration from Russia uh, that they're recognizing uh, these two areas as uh, in eastern Ukraine, as uh, Russian republics. What uh, what's the sense there on the ground?
3: Uh, Tony, I spent uh, pretty much most of today on the streets of Lviv, uh, which is uh, Ukraine's largest uh, city in the western part of the country. And the 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 number one thing everybody said to me, pretty much within the first few minutes of me asking them their reaction to uh, President Putin's address to his nation yesterday evening, was, "My goodness, how dare he 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 say to us that we are not even a sovereign, independent nation?" the overwhelming sense was that he was looking down on Ukraine this uh, uh, the fact that this was uh, that that Russia is so tethered to to Ukraine uh, but you have to understand this has been in the psyche uh, of Russia's president for a very long time in fact he is the one who infamously said that the greatest geopolitical catastrophe uh, of the 20th century was the collapse of the Soviet Union of the USSR right. uh, for us in the in the democratic world we would say wow that was a major accomplishment. But for the president of uh, Russia, uh, this was a catastrophe in his eyes. And so uh, people here are very concerned that he has these ambitions to reconstitute not just the USSR, but the Russian empire. Uh,
1: George, that, that brings up my final question for you. Vladimir Putin, he has a memory. He remembers what the USSR was Do the folks in Ukraine, do they remember what communism was like? And does that give them the boldness and the courage to stand against Russia?
3: Oh, absolutely, Tony. You saw that in the last eight years as the uh, Ukrainian army, in essence, uh, kept uh, the the Russian army at bay. In fact, it was uh, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky who said over the weekend, just this past weekend in Munich, Germany, uh, he 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 was very defined. And he said uh, to the most powerful leaders of the world, he said, uh, please remember that it was Ukraine that uh, acted as a shield against one of the biggest armies in the world, basically saying to the European Union, it's our it's my men and women who are dying in order to protect you from this uh, from this uh, from this army uh, it, absolutely after 30 years of the fall of communism what scares the the, the daylights out of, uh, of vladimir putin is this idea that right next door to his nation to his autocratic dictatorial regime is a vibrant prosperous politically economically religious, r- religiously free nation And that scares him. And this idea that people are continuing to yearn for freedom and, you know, get closer and closer to the West is what really scares him at the end of the day.
1: George Thomas, thanks so much for uh, for joining us this evening. I appreciate your insights. And I know we'll be following up with you in the days ahead.
3: Uh, Pleasure. Thank you for having me on the broadcast.
1: Absolutely. Well, folks, uh, joining us now to uh, to give an assessment on the events unfolding in Russia and Ukraine is Congressman Mike Waltz. He's a member of the House Armed Services Committee and a decorated special forces officer. He serves as the uh, 6th Congressional District uh, of Florida, the congressman from uh, the 6th Congressional District. He joins us now by phone. Congressman Waltz, uh, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon.
2: Hey, good to be with you, Tony. Thanks. Thanks much.
1: So these the sanctions that President Biden is talking about now, too little, too late. Uh, what, do they need to be, what do they need to look like to be effective at this point?
2: Well, overall, I do think they're too little, too, too late. As, as President, Ukrainian President Zelensky said over the weekend, uh, you know, what are you waiting for? <laughs> to, uh, to Vice President Harris and, and all of the European leaders uh, gathered, clearly Biden's policy of holding back on sanctions as a deterrent measure has failed. Uh, and, and many of us have been calling uh, for those sanctions to get put in place Months ago, Tony, what you do is you put those sanctions in place in phases, uh, and you start ratcheting them up as Putin starts gathering uh, and threatening his neighbors and gathering his forces, and then at the negotiating table you pull those sanctions back as he de-escalates. Uh, but but this crew that's in the White House, uh, you know, doesn't understand how to use leverage, doesn't understand how our adversaries think that they smell weakness, they see opportunity. And uh, Putin is doing it now, uh, just as he did in 2014, because he knows he can get away with it. And just very quickly, on the sanctions themselves, uh, at least it was a step. Uh, We've gone from minor incursion to actually calling it what it is, which is an invasion, a land invasion in Europe. Uh, And I agree with your previous guest. Go after the oligarchs, every yacht, every villa, every soccer team, every vacation home in the Swiss Alps. Uh, And and go after Putin's inner circle. But the other portions of the sanctions, for example, the sanctions on Russia's debt, uh, their balance sheet is in the best uh, shape in Russia uh, nationally than it's been in a long time because they're cash rich because of the high price of oil. Uh, And that is a direct result of Biden's failed energy policy.
1: What other steps can the U.S. take? I mean, it looks pretty clear right now that uh, Vladimir Putin is not going to stop in these two breakaway uh, districts. Are, are they going to do, do you think he's going to move forward?
2: Well, I have invasion? to tell you, I mean, just from a from a military standpoint, uh, keeping that many troops, I mean, it's estimated to be about 70 to 75 percent, three quarters of his entire Military, Uh, not to mention multiple fleets from the Pacific uh, and the Arctic. He's moved all the way around into the Mediterranean. Keeping those logistically in the high state of readiness that they are is incredibly expensive to do for a long time. Uh, So if he's going to move, he's going to have to move quickly. And we need to be making the point that this is going to be difficult, it's going to be a quagmire, and we'll continue to support the Ukrainians with lethal aid.
1: Well, and uh, Congressman Waltz, uh, we're up against a break, but I know we're going to be talking uh, more about this in the uh, the days ahead. always appreciate having you on the program uh, to share your insight and uh, wisdom with us uh, on these issues. Absolutely,
2: Tony. Thanks so much.
1: Folks, freedom is on the roll. We're going to be uh, joining. We're going to be joined by one of the Freedom Convoy members. They're starting out from California tomorrow, heading to Washington, D.C., the People's Convoy. We're going to be talking with them next. Don't go away. More Washington. Watch to come right after the break.
5: Stand defending freedom convoy.
1: You are listening to Washington Watch, and I'm your host, Tony Bergen. Starting tomorrow, a convoy of American truckers will make their way across the country toward Washington, D.C., to call upon elected officials to lift all COVID 19 related mandates and to end the state of emergency, which the president extended. Uh, Just last week. Now, this is in solidarity with those truckers that uh, we've seen north of us in uh, in Canada. In fact, as we mentioned at the top of the program uh, yesterday, last night, uh, the uh, parliament in Canada extended by 30 days at the request of Justin Trudeau, the prime minister there. These 30 days extending the state of emergency there. Uh, The vote along party lines, 185 to uh, 151. Now, what's interesting is that what's happened in Canada has given rise to efforts here in the United States and elsewhere, not just the United States. But it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite uh, figures from history, Samuel Adams. He said, It does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. And that's what I see these convoys doing. Joining us to start off our Defending Freedom Convoy, which we'll be covering uh, each day, is Mike Landis. He's one of the co-organizers of the People's Convoy, which will be heading out tomorrow from Southern California. He is actually on his way to the starting point right now and has pulled over somewhere in Arizona to talk with us. Mike, welcome to Washington Watch.
6: All right, Tony. Thank you for having us on.
1: All right. uh, Talk a little bit about uh, what you plan to do, the journey you're going to be taking over the next few days and the purpose behind it.
6: Yeah. So uh, as you said, Canada inspired us. Um, I think everybody's been close to this point just waiting for that right spark to set it off. And, um, you know, around the world, we've seen it happening, like you said, uh, UK, Finland and so on. And many other countries are starting to do the same thing. So I uh, you know a bunch of us got together here and put this together for the United States, and uh, it's really turned into a pretty, pretty cohesive thing here. We have a lot of the doctors that you've seen trying to speak out against this stuff over the last, you know, two years that have been blackballed from their industry and silenced uh, on our side here. And really, I think it's kind of awesome because the convoy can give, you know, uh, it's it's big, it's it's loud, it's boisterous, it catches attention, and then. They can say their piece and explain why we really never needed to be in these states of emergencies and, you know, have people die or, you know, even force these vaccines on people that really didn't want them you know, and, uh, you know, hopefully inform them a little better with what they're dealing with.
1: So do you have any idea how many truckers uh, will be joining you along the way? <laughs> I hate that question, but uh no i don't i can
6: say though that uh this is shaping up to be pretty large by the response that we got in fact um I talked to some of our other colleagues over at Adelanto, where everyone's gathering in california and the place is just packed right now with people bringing in donations and food and just, just supplies and stuff to take along the way so far and it's only we've only had access to it for the last maybe two hours or so and they already have piles of stuff in the back of uh, two different tractor trailers so it's um I believe, you know, as we come across the country, you're going to see it grow. Even Canada's only started with a couple of trucks. Um, I don't know how many trucks we have there right now at this point, but um, regardless, whatever we start with, we're going to end with a whole lot
1: more. So, and I want to underscore, Mike, what uh, what the People's Convoy has said in their statements. This is a peaceful, unified transcontinental movement, um, and it's just like it was in in Canada, peaceful, uh, just making. Doing what with what you have, making a stand for for freedom. And I think it has, uh, as you said, it's garnered a lot of interest. Others have come along. I think the support is reflective of that. Uh, Can you uh, can you tell our viewers and our listeners a little bit about some of the stops you'll be making along your way as you head to D.C.? Uh,
6: Yeah. So, you know, the first day we're going to be stopping in Kingman, Arizona um and then uh the next day in in Lupton at the border there in New Mexico and Arizona and then the next one will be just across the border in Texas we're only going to move roughly 300-ish miles a day on average try and stay in daylight and and allow enough places for people to gather and and you know come out to see the trucks the convoy or whatever move in and move out and hopefully at a couple of them we're going to have some of the doctors there to actually speak um and, and try and get that information out about, you know, what, what the real truth is behind some of this as to why we really shouldn't have had to deal with some of the stuff we've dealt with the last two years here.
1: Uh, Mike, any uh, any concern about uh, authorities trying to shut down the convoy along the way?
6: Um, No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, the thing is, is I realize, you know, it, in, the convoy in itself is going to be a bit of a disruption especially if you have a large number of vehicles with it and this isn't just for trucks either anybody can join in with this with their car their camper their motorcycle whatever in fact we encourage everybody that believes in this to join in. um you know i'm sure there's places that aren't going to like it because it's going to be a little bit of an inconvenience as we go through but at the end of the day you know, we have our constitutional rights to be able to assemble and protest and we're not out burning cities and stuff down. So I really don't understand why there would be any, uh, you know, opposition to that um, in regards, regards to that there, you know, where there's, like you said, it's supposed to be peaceful. We're not looking for trouble. We're not out to hurt people or anything like that. So if anything like that ever arises, it was probably implants from the government trying to make us look like what they want us to.
1: Well, Mike, I can say this. There are a lot of folks that appreciate the fact that you and others are doing this. And and this is not the only convoy. I think there's two or three other convoys going on here in the United States at the same time. It's spontaneous. It's uh, grassroots. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful for the truckers, uh, taking the lead in this. I know it's not, they're not the only ones, as you said, the doctors and others are going to be joining in this, but, uh, you're providing a very visible face for this and a, in a presence. And we're, we're grateful because, you know, defending freedom takes all of us, wherever we are, we have to use what we have to defend that freedom. And, uh, you guys are doing that and uh, appreciate it. And we're going to be checking in with you along the way, if you don't mind.
6: Now, I that would be great. The be- more coverage we can get, the better. That way, uh, you know, stuff can't be spun to make it look like something it's not. So I'm I'm glad to be a part of this, and I'm glad that uh, the people of this country, not just the truck drivers, but the people of this country are finally standing up against this. You know, I tell my kids all the time, the right thing is not always the most popular or cool thing to do, but if it's right, it's right.
1: That's right. Yeah, absolutely correct. I'm looking at the uh, the map and where you're going to be going. I'm going to see if my... Anyway, I can uh, uh, cross paths with you. Maybe we can stop at a truck stop and get a nice dinner. That works for me. All right, Mike. Be safe. Uh, Look forward to talking to you again real soon. Yeah, thank you. All right, folks. Stick with us. On the other side of the break, we've still got more Washington Watch, a big case in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Why is everyone watching it? We're going to talk about it next. Don't go away. Welcome back to Washington Watch. And by the way, you can um, go to TonyPerkins.com, and I think we have a link up to the People's Convoy to their website where you can get the information. And they actually have it listed, the cities they're going to be going to. So if you live in one of those cities, you might want to go out and join them or join the convoy. And uh, anyway, look, I, I really do think using peaceful means to express our concerns and to give voice to the fact that we want to defend our freedoms, extremely important. So I'm, 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 I'm grateful for what they're doing, and I would encourage you to support them. These are peaceful means. As he said, they're not burning cities like some groups were uh, in the summer of 2020. They're simply driving on the public roads, making a statement that freedom matters. All right, The very meaning of man, woman, boy, and girl has been in the crosshairs of the left for quite some time even before the U.S. Supreme Court's 2020 decision in the Harris Funeral Homes versus the EEOC case. Now, that case was based in Michigan, but the transgender crusade had its next big day in court in Atlanta in a case that was heard by the full panel of judges on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. The case is Drew Adams versus the school board of St. John's County, Florida. And here with me to to break this down, what happened today in the oral arguments is FRC's Research fellow for legal and policy studies, Catherine Beck Johnson. Catherine, welcome to Washington Watch once again.
9: Thanks for having me, Tony. It's great to be here with you.
1: So, first off, um, let's, before we get into today's uh, arguments before the court, how did this case start?
9: This started with a biological female who now identifies as a male in a public school in Florida, which is my home state. And This Adams says that biologically she was denied access to the male bathroom and the public school said you need to either use the bathroom in accordance with your biological sex or you can use a single stall. So they were not even forcing Adams to go to the female bathroom. They gave her the option of going to a bathroom, an individual stall. Yeah, this was not good enough. And so she sued. She won at the district court level and then won at the 11th Circuit. But the 11th Circuit, it was a panel two versus one. The 11th Circuit has then since withdrawn that opinion and it went to en banc, which means it was before the entire 11th Circuit today.
1: Uh, Any sense how the arguments went today?
9: They went well. I think it's it's always hard to tell simply from the arguments. But I think what was most telling was the fact that the 11th Circuit withdrew the original opinion that was in favor of Adams and said, wait a second, we're not satisfied with this opinion, we wanna take another look at it. And I think that is what is most encouraging for us to see, especially because three other circuits have ruled on this matter in favor of the transgender student. And so this really would be an excellent win for you know biological reality. And right. this would give the Supreme Court the circuit split to then take up and review the case.
1: You know, one of the arguments being made by the, uh, the plaintiffs in this case, uh, Andrew's attorneys, uh, saying that while treating Andrew uh, as what the, his name, Mr. Adams, Mrs. Adams, uh, trying to keep all these pieces, all the parts straight here, uh, treating Andrews equally harms no one else. Discriminating against Andrew inflicts profound injuries on him, treating him as unfit to share common restrooms with his male peers. I mean, th- this is a biological girl wanting to use a boy's bathroom. The school rightfully responds that this is an issue of privacy and safety for other students.
9: That's right. I also found that line particularly appalling. First and foremost, like we know, there are biological realities. And forcing the school to act and disconnect from that is in and of itself a damage. And then secondly, we have seen all across the country, in jails, in schools, in Loudoun County, right here in Virginia, where it has been actually dangerous to have people of opposite sex have access to the bathrooms. And there is very much the school's interest in separating people based on biological sex, and there's nothing discriminatory about that. It's simply biology, science, and facts.
1: Now, Catherine, the, uh, the advocates of gender confusion are saying uh, they're concerned about this because this could set up a split in circuits, which would mean that the Supreme Court would most likely be at a point of weighing in on this issue of bathrooms and gender and all of this.
9: That's right. And I actually think there's reason to be concerned of this even going to the Supreme Court. As we know, in 2020, Bostock came out, and that was applied to Title VII situations, which dealt with the employer-employee relationship. And this is a Title IX, which deals with the educational aspect. But the the various circuits, including the the 11th Circuit and the panel decision, did apply that Bostock reasoning. Now, Justice Barrett is on the court, which she was not on the court at the time in Bostock, but Justice Gorsuch and Justice Roberts were, and they sided with the liberals. So as of now, there are enough votes from the Bostock opinion, whether or not the full court or the majority of the court will apply that in the Title IX situation remains to be unseen, but it's certainly something to follow.
1: Yeah, I think it might be slightly different in the minds of some justices because we're talking about children and we're talking about uh, minors and them being exposed, as you've said. We now have plenty of uh, examples of the danger that this has uh, led to. Catherine, thanks, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Always great to talk with you.
9: Thanks for having me.
1: And I'm sure we'll be uh, visiting this uh, in the future as uh, the court makes its decision, because this is an issue that's uh, not going away. Speaking of an issue not going away, the Communist Party of China and their abuse. But we're going to focus today not on the Communist Party and their human rights abuses, abusive, abusive nature, but rather we're going to focus on who's propping them up. Here in the West, businesses, politicians, why? Who's doing it? We're going to talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
8: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council Stand Firm app. by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the app store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app.
7: What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
10: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, if you've been tuning in to Washington Watch over the past two weeks, you know that we have devoted a special segment each day Uh, during the Olympics, to highlight the human rights abuses of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, uh, we're, we're moving on from the Olympics, but I'm not moving on from what China is doing. Now, we know that CCP, that the Chinese Communist Party, that we know they're bad actors, but have political and business leaders here in the West been empowering the Chinese Communist Party to do what they're doing? Joining me now to talk about this is Peter Schweitzer. He's the author of Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich, Helping China Win. Peter, welcome back to Washington Watch.
0: Great to be with you, Tony. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, first, uh, and I've got several questions, so I appreciate you coming back on. I've I've read your book uh, from cover to cover. I find it fascinating. Um, it was look. I thought I knew a lot about China, serving on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. I've tracked a lot. I've been sanctioned by China, um, but you helped connect a lot of the dots, um, and it was alarming to see the political and business leaders in the West that have really made China what it is today.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, They basically have struck a bargain with Beijing, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, where they have helped them grow, helped them become more powerful. uh, And that power, of course, is going to be aimed at the United States, while at the same time Beijing has made them very, very wealthy. Uh, China has a strategy. It's called elite capture. uh, And it's very simple, Tony. Rather than go toe-to-toe with the United States, deal with our world-class military, deal with our vibrant uh, economy, uh, they're going to effectively decapitate us by buying off our political leadership. And they've had a lot of success uh, in doing this with people in both political
1: parties. Yes, and that's something to underscore here. It's both political parties, it's Democrat and Republican, but we've had people in very high positions, in very sensitive positions and and I have a little knowledge of that um, in, in the information that you have when you're in government. and it, it's hard not to think. and I know that you uh, you have a, if you have a security uh, classification and you you cannot share certain information. however, It appears to me that the Chinese know, individuals who know what's going on in the American government, that they're leveraging that, even if they're not getting classified information from them, they're gaining information on how our government works and what its priorities are.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things they want. They certainly want information. They want insight. uh, But they also uh, want, basically, the policies that are in place to remain in place because they're highly beneficial to Beijing. Uh, The Chinese strategy, loosely translated to English, is they want big help with a little bad mouth. And what that means is they understand that political leaders may have to, you know, ding Beijing for human rights abuses or for their treatment of the Uyghurs. They don't they're not concerned about that. What they want is help on the big issues that are going to help them defeat the United States in this race or this war that they're having with us. And that is they want unfettered access basically to our capital markets, which is Wall Street. They want unfettered access to our technology, which is basically Silicon Valley. Uh, and they want a free and open trade. Uh, and if they get those three things, they are highly confident they will beat us. And they are right. Uh, Because we have a situation right now where our best and brightest companies, uh, Google and uh, Microsoft, for example, are subsidizing artificial intelligence research being done at laboratories in China that are linked to the Chinese military. So they're literally aiding and abetting our military rival in the technology race. With that kind of help, they're probably going to win.
1: Well, Peter, I want to get into some specifics. Just recently, and this was since you were on the program last, the the present director of the FBI – said uh, that as he looked into what was happening with China, that he was shocked by the level of uh, the security threats by China and the amount of spying that China is doing. Now, he says that, but yet we've had previous FBI directors that had worked for institu- or, uh, companies, businesses affiliated with China. Talk about that.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly right, and that's part of the problem. You know, you have people that serve in uh, governments, um, former members of Congress, former senators that leave, and what do they do? They become lobbyists for Chinese military or intelligence-linked companies. They're getting paid in some cases a million dollars a year, uh, helping these military companies lobby in Washington D.C. But you also have you know, former uh, assistant directors of the CIA, former military officers, former secretaries of defense uh, that become lobbyists for Chinese state-owned companies or they help Chinese state-owned companies competing against American firms around the world. Uh, We have this lack of character and this lack of moral guidance among a lot of people that leave this country. Public service for them lasts very briefly and then they spend a lifetime cashing in It's one thing if you cash in. I mean, this is bad enough. If you cash in for some crony deal back in some congressional district, it's it's something of a magnitude of order, more of a problem uh, when you're doing it with our chief rival. And a lot of them are cashing in by doing sweetheart deals and aiding and betting Beijing in their
1: competition with us. I mean and I mean this is alarming when you look at people in I mean you had secretary of state, secretary of defense, you had people at every level of government that have you know maybe not directly but they're working with a finance company or they're working with some consultant working with China but the money is coming from China and some of these know this in advance of them leaving government service that they're going to take these positions it's 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 just I, it, it was shocking for me yeah. to see this—that you have people who are serving this country, serving—and I put that in quotes, then going to work for our one of our chief rivals. I mean, I would think yeah. that there should—you you should choose. You can either serve our country in a sensitive position <laughs> and be entrusted with information that the average American does not have, or you can work for our rival, but you can't do both.
0: Yeah, I choose. It's it's a pretty simple solution. By the way, uh, try doing that in China. Try start serving in a senior position in the CCP and then suddenly switching sides to uh, do something to benefit the United States. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's sort of masked in a way to make it acceptable, but it's appalling. Uh, one of the examples I have in the book is former Speaker of the House John Boehner. He goes to work for a lobbying firm in Washington, D.C. He will say he's not a lobbyist. He is a senior international consultant for this lobbying firm. But when you look at this lobbying firm, one of their longtime clients is the actual Chinese government. And this lobbying firm, among other things, collects political intelligence on the U.S. defense budget. And some of the senior partners in this lobbying firm, because they have offices in China, are senior members of the Chinese Communist Party going to the highest level. So these are people that are in the same firm that that he is in. Uh, He had to know that going in. He just made a calculated decision or he convinced himself that this is not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. It is a problem. It reflects the corrosive nature of corruption in Washington, D.C., and it needs to change.
1: Well, as the former Speaker of the House, he would have a top level clearance and have information that would show just how serious this threat is from, from China. Now, Um, Your book, Red Handed, is out there. It's, uh, you know, it's everything in there is footnoted. It's documented. Uh, Have there been those that have tried to keep you from putting this information out there?
0: Uh, not that I know of. Uh, the mainstream media, of course, has ignored it. And if you look at a lot of the parent companies and mainstream media outfits, they're all aggressively pursuing deals in China. They don't want to do hard stories on China. Uh, I think the big tech giants, um, there's probably some censorship going on. Uh, of course, I highlight you know, Facebook and Google and the things that they're doing in China. But look, the bottom line is the book is resonating with people. It's uh, been number one on the New York Times bestselling list for the first three weeks it's been out uh that reflects not some great work on my part it reflects the real hunger that average americans have for this kind of information because they know there are things amiss going on in washington dc and this explains part of why it's going on
1: well it's 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 absolutely wrong and i've already had some conversations since reading the book with uh, various members of congress you know i know it'd be a uphill battle but really i think if you hold a sensitive position in government you should not be able to work um, for one of our rivals, um, I, I know there's some constitutional issues there, but look, choose uh, you can 't work for both. I think the, the, what you gain by working in some of these sensitive positions again it 's a public trust, you have security clearances, you get information it is just it 's a part of now who you are, and you operate a certain way based upon that information, and it should not benefit our adversaries in any form. Or fashion. Uh, Peter, before we run out of time, I want to go to to the north for just a moment, because we've been talking yeah. a lot uh, this week about uh, the prime minister of Canada. And uh, you, uh, you 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 write about him in his book, in this book, in your book, because he was asked a question about what administration he most admired. And Justin Trudeau's response was China.
0: Tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. I mean, he was a member of parliament in 2012. And, of course, the Trudeau family has longtime commercial ties with uh, Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party, going back to Justin Trudeau's father. uh, His brother uh, certainly has his relationships, and Justin Trudeau does as well. But he was asked in 2012 what government, foreign government, he admired the most, and he mentioned China. And he explicitly said, I like their basic dictatorship, that was his word, because they just get things done so efficiently. Uh, Well, of course, dictatorships have the benefit of not worrying about civil rights or property rights or an independent judiciary, but it really opens the window to the soul of this man and what he really thinks the role of government is. I think part of that is because of the history the family has with China, but part of it is his view of power. And it's very frightening because events that you're seeing in Canada uh, mimic in some very significant ways the manner in which the Chinese government treats its own people.
1: But Peter, you write about in your book, this is not just a casual relationship. There has been some direct benefit that in some ways you could say his political success has been tied to this relationship with China.
0: Yeah, there are, uh, there's are. there been a flow of political money uh, from Chinese businessmen in Canada who are linked to the CCP or are linked to Chinese Communist Party front groups. Uh, we know that the family has personally benefited. Uh, his memoirs were actually published in China. We don't know how much the Chinese Communist Party propaganda department paid him, but they bought the Chinese right to his books. And interestingly, when they bought those rights, Uh, Trudeau did not share that he had sold those rights with his own advisers. In fact, one of his advisers was the head of a Canadian spy agency, and when he discovered after the fact that Justin Trudeau had taken money from the Chinese government, he was appalled, uh, as he should have been. So it's not just a question of making money. His brothers made money. His father made money. The, the family's political fortunes and financial fortunes are really linked to this tie to Beijing. It's the fact that he has tried to cover it up. He's not been honest with the Canadian people. And I think it's starting to show exactly the manner in which he views government and how it should function. And again, it mimics in very significant ways uh, the way that China operates towards its own people.
1: Well, in in Peter, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from your book that this influences policies as well as he simp- uh, attempted to set up uh, an institute uh, r- connected with China, and had not the Canadian people pushed back on it, he would have uh, he would have accomplished that.
0: Yeah, there's a whole series of things he's done as prime minister. There's a very real concern in China because of the size of the country relative to uh, to China. Uh, The Chinese are buying up strategic companies and industries, some that are military-related, some related to the minerals uh, industry. Uh, And those have been the subject of a lot of debate uh, by both the Conservative Party there and the Liberal Party. Justin Trudeau has very aggressively backed Chinese efforts to buy critical industries in China. He doesn't view it as a threat. He doesn't view it as a problem. He appointed a foreign minister who, it turned out, uh, had multi million dollar loans that he had taken out from the Bank of China for property that he owned in London. Uh, there is a very deep and abiding problem with the political class in Canada. And because Canada is such a small country in terms of population relative to China and relative to the United States, their problems are magnified. Uh, and Justin Trudeau continues, I would argue, to do the bidding for Beijing, not perfectly. Remember, as I said, big help with a little bad mouth. Right. So there is a little bad mouth, but most of it is the big help that China really wants.
1: Yeah, I think it's an important to note because you'll hear politicians say, oh, China's bad on human rights. But it's a passing note. But what you don't see is what they're doing to help them and facilitate the uh, the economic growth and the, the free ride that China is getting when it comes to the human rights abuses. Uh, Peter, final question for you as we're just about out of time back here in the United States. What Americans, Americans who care about freedom and care about these things and are principled and love this country and are not willing to sell it out for a few pieces of silver, what do they need to be doing?
0: Well, first thing I would say is don't buy Chinese products because the vast majority of Chinese companies, that are selling products here are linked to the Chinese military industrial complex. So as they profit, you are financing the Chinese war machine. Second thing is look at your investments. Uh, I certainly didn't buy individual Chinese stocks, but when I looked at some of the mutual funds in my IRA, some of them were developing world or Asian mutual funds. You find that 30 or 40 percent of the companies in that mutual fund are actually Chinese companies. Some of them linked to the military. So look at your investment portfolio and and sell out in any investments you have that are aiding abetting uh, Beijing. Uh, and then I propose a series of other reforms we need to take as a country in the book, but. LET YOUR ELECTED OFFICIALS KNOW YOU'RE GOING TO VOTE ON THESE ISSUES, THAT IT'S IMPORTANT TO YOU. ULTIMATELY, IT'S ABOUT ELECTING PEOPLE OF GOOD CHARACTER WHO RECOGNIZE THE CHINESE THREAT, WHO RECOGNIZE THE FUNDAMENTAL NATURE OF THE BEIJING REGIME THAT'S WILLING TO uh, DESTROY ITS OWN people. Uh, is going to do the same thing to us if we give them the opportunity. So let your elected officials know you care about this. This is an important issue to
1: you. It absolutely is. Peter, we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Great book. Folks, I encourage you to pick up a copy of it and uh, do just as Peter said. We've got to let our voice be heard on this. This is a very significant issue. All right. Out of time.